We have some more arguments from polygamists defending their polygamy next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? After leaving and rejecting Mormonism, including polygamy, there are some zealous members and friends and relatives, and yeah. they may present every argument that they can to get someone who has left to come back. Mm. And they will offer all kinds of proofs and justifications why the Mormon religion or polygamy for salvation is the only way to get to heaven. Because we are always being asked these questions, we decided to have more discussions about it. I know we've had a few in the past, but yeah. there's been more uh, brought up, and, and we want to answer some of the most peculiar arguments uh, that polygamists made. I think today's show has the most peculiar of all of them. <laughs> uh, this, this discussion is relevant to the mindset of present-day polygamists. We need to be able to give biblical answers to them, and polygamists need to hear the biblical truth about their questions and about polygamy. Now, the topics are not unique to any one Mormon polygamy group, uh, but some are relevant to the LDS Church because they're always justifying Joseph Smith's polygamy and, mm -hmm. and the polygamy of the early oh, yeah. of early Mormonism. So polygamists uh, and the early Mormon polygamists believe that God gave the commandment for polygamy and that it is necessary to earn favor with him and to get into celestial glory. Now, many of them see places in the Bible where it seems that plural marriage is condoned by God, that God actually gave men, like Abraham, Jacob, and David, their plural wives, uh, which to their thinking makes it a God-ordained practice. So we have some answers to a few more reasons they have given to live polygamy. The first one. Yeah, plural marriage is an eternal priesthood doctrine and so important that even Jesus had to marry plural wives. <laughs> I said some of these are a little way, a little off base here, but but, but this it, top it's certainly something that's <laughs> mentioned. Uh, it is, yeah. yeah. And we talked about this a while back when we yeah. did the our Ogden Krauts book that yeah, Jesus that, was married. That's right. Uh, we talked about some of the excuses that they used of why he was married. Uh, this one wasn't part of one of the excuses. Uh, and Orson Prada emphasized plural marriage big time. However, uh, on this time, we want to focus on the phrase that Jesus had to have plural wives, which, uh, and they use an Old Testament verse to prove the statement. Sadly, polygamists and LDS have more faith in human authors than they do in God's Bible, which makes it difficult to convince them to read outside their box of religious thinking. Yet they utilize the Bible that they don't trust to justify <laughs> doctrines they embrace. Now, polygamists claim that Psalm 45, verses 8 through 12, is a passage where David is prophesying that Jesus would take plural wives. This is the psalm. Now, listen carefully. <laughs> yes. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From palaces adorned with ivory, the music of the strings make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your honored women. At your right hand is the royal bride in gold of Ophir. Listen, O daughter, consider and give ear. Forget your people and your father's house. The king is enthralled by your beauty. Honor him, for he is your lord. The daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. Men of wealth will seek your favor. Okay, now... <laughs> The psalm that they are saying here isn't from isn't David prophesying about Jesus's polygamy. In fact, the Hebrew text explains that this is a wedding song by the sons of Korah, not David. 
<laughs> and it was sung at Jewish weddings. Now, many biblical scholars of the language as well as ancient customs explain that this could symbolize King Jesus when he triumphs over all humanity and in the end takes his throne and is joined forever with his people, called his church, which is often referred to some symbolically as his bride, singular. <laughs> Got to get that right. singular. Now, in Psalm 45 that Earl just read, there's a king who is anticipating his bride, singular. Mm -hmm. Orson Pratt claims that the daughters of kings in verse 9 are Jesus's plural wives. But <laughs> Pratt obviously didn't use a Bible concordance which lists every single word in the Bible and gives the original language definition of each word. The word daughters cannot be interpreted as wives. These women were ladies of honor who accompanied the one bride of the king to Israel's royal court. <laughs> so they think the king is yeah. taking one bride, but all these other women over here are his plural wives. Plural wives, but they're... Now, the word daughters cannot be plural wives. It's a different word. It's a different Hebrew word than wife or wives. And, and think about this. The Bible says that men begat sons and daughters. If daughters really means wives, do they beget sons and wives? I mean, we've got to be consistent here. The next proof text that they, that they use in this uh, entire idea is Luke 23, 27, that the word woman should be replaced with the word wives. <laughs> From Luke 23, 27, 28, a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. So the text says, Jesus turns to the women and calls them daughters of Jerusalem. So these were people that were following him as he was carrying his cross to Mount Calvary. Right. And some polygamists today claim that he is addressing these women who are really his plural wives and calls them daughters of Jerusalem. Now, of course, there's no manuscript evidence at all that the word woman should have been wives in this verse. Jesus turns to the females who are following him and addresses them as daughters of Jerusalem. And he really addressed plural wives that way. <laughs> the word for daughters is not the same word for wife or woman. The, those women were not wives of Jesus, um, and <laughs> he uses the phrase indicating that they are women of the nation of Israel. Yeah. Now, it's odd that polygamists would say this in the light of the fact that the Joseph Smith translation didn't change it. Mm. It reads the same. Yeah. So if it was supposed to be different, why didn't Joseph Smith make that change? Polygamists get a lot of these odd ideas from different sources that really have no divine basis. Books that are man's ideas, uh, polygamists been at that. Now, polygamists love to read Orson Pratt. He was <laughs> the pro-polygamy apologist of his day, and he is still re revered by many polygamists. But he was not a writer of scripture. In fact, much of his writings today are considered irrelevant to rational thinking. Even the LDS Church refuses <laughs> to teach much of what Pratt wrote. Polygamists quote Pratt about the word women in the Bible. Here is one of their arguments. <clears throat> Bible translators change the word wives to the word women after the 1636 Bible. One defender stated that the Greek Bible originally used the word wives, not women, 
in the Old Testament. Now, just as an example to show how little they know about the Bible, he used the word, he says that the word wives in the Greek was in the Old Testament, but the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, not Greek. That's true. So he do, they don't even know what they're saying. Um, the statement illustrates they don't do their own research, but they listen to others and don't check things out for themselves. But we checked it out. And in the Greek, the word wife woman and women are the same words. Context determines its use. The Hebrew word for wives is in Strong's number 802, ish, isha. isha, meaning feminine, a woman. And it is defined as woman, wife, betrothed one, bride, each, and they're all singular. All singular. There yeah. you go. All singular in the original language. Now, Orson Pratt claimed that the word wives was also changed to read daughters after the 1639 Bible translation into English. That simply is not true. We checked it out. <laughs> we went to the online Bible. You can do it. Go search online for the King James 1611 Bible and find out. And it did not translate daughters, daughters. as wives, as Pratt claimed. Orson Pratt either deliberately lied to undergird polygamy or he didn't know what he was talking about. The next reason that they give to support polygamy. <laughs> Jesus said, do the works of Abraham. We hear that so much. <laughs> From Luke 13, 28, and also Doctrine and Covenants, section 132. Well, the Doctrine and Covenants really doesn't have any spiritual authority no. or integrity beyond where it agrees with the Bible, which it seldom does. Section 132 is not a biblical revelation. In fact, it is in opposition to both the Bible and the Book of Mormon, and the language and grammar alone in section 132 disqualifies <laughs> it as being divine. But for our discussion, let's look at the verses that they have referenced. Yeah. Section 132, verses 31 through uh, 31, 32, and 63. This promise is yours also, because ye are of Abraham, and the promise was made unto Abraham, and by this law is the continuation of work of the works of my father wherein he glorified himself. Go ye therefore and do the works of Abraham, enter ye into my law, and ye shall be saved. But if one or either of the ten virgins after she is espoused shall be with another man, shall be with another man, she has committed adultery and shall be destroyed, for they are given unto him to multiply and replenish the earth, according to my commandment and to fulfill the promise which was given by my Father before the foundation of the world, and for their exaltation in the eternal worlds, that they may bear the souls of men. For herein is the work of my Father continued, that he may be glorified. Now this law, this is section 132, so yeah. this law they're talking about, and all of the exaltation and so on, is polygamy. polygamy. It is polygamy. Yeah. Now the works of Abraham that Mormon polygamists emphasize to justify polygamy is polygamy. Yeah. But what were they really? We're going to let the Bible explain the works of Abraham because it's from the Bible that they get this concept. First, we'll read the verse that they cited, Luke 13, 28, and check out the context of what Jesus is saying. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. So Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of right. his day and telling them 
that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets are there in the kingdom of heaven. So we're at a loss to how this teaches or condones polygamy unless they're trying to prove that Abraham and Jacob are in heaven because they were polygamists. Isaac wasn't. But Isaac wasn't. <laughs> That's a lack of continuity again. He was there, and so were all the other prophets. All the prophets in the kingdom of God, it says. Yeah, it says. Other prophets are there. Um, but they weren't polygamous either. Many of them weren't. So that what they're trying to prove is that polygamy is the works of Abraham, and that's what gets people into heaven. But non-polygamists are in heaven too. So that's a pretty bad example. Yeah. Additionally, there's a scripture in the Gospel of John that does talk about the works of Abraham. Yeah, John eight thirty nine and 40. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith, saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, for which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Now, the context isn't polygamy <laughs> no. here. And you can pick up the Bible and read it for yourself. Right. The context is faith and belief in Jesus Christ as the Messiah who is both God and Savior. Jesus chides them because Abraham believed and they didn't. That's why they're being kicked out. Yeah, that's true. The works of Abraham was that he believed God. It wasn't polygamy. Notice very carefully this next verse about the works of Abraham. Yeah, from Genesis 15, 6. And he believed the Lord, Abraham, and he counted it to him for righteousness. So the belief faith. is the, the righteous belief. faith. Absolute faith yeah. is faith that equals righteousness. The reason for Abraham's righteousness was that against all odds, he believed God. That was Abraham's works. It was his faith. He believed what God said. And this statement of Abraham's righteousness is in chapter 15 before he ever had Hagar in chapter 16. So it couldn't have been polygamy. They've got it all wrong. That's a good point. Now this fits in very nicely with Jesus' teachings in John chapter 6. <laughs> Verses 28 and 29, Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And that's what Abraham did. Believe in Jesus. His yeah. works of righteousness was believing God, believing what God said and acting upon that belief. It has nothing to do with polygamy. And you can also read Hebrews chapter 11, which gives full context and details of Abraham's faith. And if polygamists want to use the Bible and Abraham as their mandate to be polygamous, they really need to check out what Galatians has to say about it. We've quoted it before. We're going to do it again. That's a good one. Galatians 4, 30 and 31. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman, Hagar, and her son, Ishmael, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman, Sarah. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. God told Abraham to send Hagar away. Yeah. The free woman was Sarah, his first and legal wife, and the bondwoman had been his concubine just to have his baby. Galatians is teaching that polygamy is equal to slavery. Doing the works of Abraham is to obey God, which in this case is provide for your plural wives and children and set them free. 
If you're going to use the Bible to make a point, you should use all of it, not selected bits and pieces and taking them out of context. You're using excellent logic here. <laughs> oh, dear. Doris. <laughs> now, this next argument really blew me away when I first heard it, because I get it's like they're almost like they're reaching for straws to use this one. And that, that is that the Catholic nuns yeah. are called the brides of Christ. So polygamy must be okay. Mm. But there's no biblical teaching, first of all, for women to be nuns. But, but that isn't a, the point of our show. So we're not going to address that at length. Our question is, Mormonism does not acknowledge the Catholic Church as having any authority. So how can they use it as an example for polygamy? <laughs> In fact, historically, this is what this is what blew me away most of all. Mormon polygamists have accused the Roman Catholic Church as being the ones who introduced monogamy the and the ones who first began corrupting the Bible and starting their supposed apostasy. And then polygamists used them to defend polygamy. We have a quote. <laughs> From 1862 in the Desert News. In a sermon reported in the Desert News, Brigham Young stated, Monogamy, or restrictions by law to one wife, is no part of the economy of heaven among men. Such a system was commenced by the founders of the Roman Empire. Rome became the mistress of the world and introduced this order of monogamy wherever her sway was acknowledged. Thus, this monogamic order of marriage, so esteemed by modern Christians as a holy sacrament and divine institution, is nothing but a system established by a set of robbers. <laughs> Interesting, huh? I mean, Nobody they, talks like that these days. No, you they know that? don't. They don't. <laughs> they could, but uh, they don't. I'm glad they don't. Yeah. Polygamists assert that because the New Testament speaks of the bride of Christ, that Jesus was a polygamist, and they tie that in with the parable of the ten virgins. But the bride of Christ is always one bride. It's never a plural word. You never read the brides of Christ. Now, this is, of course, is symbolic of God's covenant love right. for his own people. Uh, all of them, that he will never, ever leave us or forsake us. He'll always be protector and provider for his people. And his people are one church, one bride. It's not speaking of physical, literal marriage anyway. No. All these references to marriage and wife is in the singular. Consistent with this is one of the final scenes in the book of Revelation. Chapter 19, verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So notice again, it's in the singular. It one is. bride, one husband. And Christ's bride is the aggregate number of all genuine believers through the ages. It designates no, no particular religion or denomination and includes all who are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, <laughs> in Jesus Christ alone, just like Abraham was. Now, the next argument um, is from, that they, they always use this, I've heard this a number of times, is from Orson Pratt's book, The Seer, from one. page 172, where he writes that polygamy pleases God because the gates of the New Jerusalem in Revelation are named after Jacob's 12 sons mm. of his four plural wives. Now, in Pratt's mind, if God was against polygamy, he wouldn't give that honor to the children of polygamists. Mm. God works with humans in spite of our humanness. 
God didn't bless Jacob because he had four wives, but because God had a plan. And as Isaiah says, nothing can thwart his plans. So polygamy, Jacob's polygamy, did not thwart his plans. God blessed the ancient Israelites in spite of Jacob's polygamy. This proves the scripture true that says this. Romans 5, 20 and 21. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigneth in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice how great grace is. Yeah. When Jesus came, he revealed God to humans. Jesus is full of grace and truth. God works with humans in patient relentlessness, (laughs) offering forgiveness and grace. He accepts those who have a repentant heart that seeks after him and his truth, who will be loyal and faithful to him. People who can, that he can adopt as his children, as Isaiah says, who will not be false to him. Yeah, Isaiah uh, chapter 63, verse 8. He said, surely they are my people, sons who will not be false to me. And so he became their savior. Isn't that profound? Yeah, that's nice. And, and of course, the, 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 this, this is addressing the idolatry of Israel, which God considers being false to him, worshiping false gods. Jesus is God. He is the savior, but only for those who are faithful and loyal and who trust in him alone for eternal life. Yeah. He doesn't save people who don't believe in him. God warned them not to indulge in polygamy because it would turn them away from him, and it did. And they ended up being false to him, embracing false gods, even thinking they could become gods themselves. Mm. Can polygamists or LDS ever truly grasp the height and the depth and the width and the length of God's love expressed through his grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is never earned. It is always a gift. It is never working to merit God's favor. Did Jacob or his 12 sons earn God's favor? No, they did not. If you just read the the stories in the Old Testament, you can notice how many times they failed. God works through the integrity of his word and his promises and the power of his love. And we pray that polygamists would seek to understand what that really means and adopt it into their own lives. Orson Pratt relied on pure conjecture based on presumed intelligence and assumptions to prove polygamy while he ignored God's solid, unchanging, revealed truth. Salvation through polygamy is the devil's way of getting our efforts and our minds off the main thing in order to lead us astray. We have another argument they use. How can the Savior save those who live plurality pl- uh, plurality, if he didn't live it himself? Hebrews 4.15 says he was tempted in all things like unto man. Now, they didn't think this one through very good. <laughs> because this is not a proof text that polygamy is okay or that Jesus was a polygamist. In fact, <laughs> using this particular verse begs the question, do polygamists see polygamy as a temptation that needs to be overcome? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's what Hebrews 4.15 is all about. Was it required that Jesus actually did everything that humans do or have done in order to save sinners? Not a chance. This passage in Hebrews teaches that Jesus was tempted, but never gave in to any temptation. So if he was tempted to live polygamy, he didn't fall for it. (laughs) The next 
justification they use would be considered nonsense if they understood Old Testament history as it points to Christ's sacrifice. They would know better than to use it as an argument to support polygamy. They quote Hebrews 2, 16 and 17 to support their polygamy. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Now, I don't, I'm confused at how they can see polygamy in this, but it's Abraham's descendants is the key words for sure. this. And to be made like his brothers, and, and then, of course, the brothers get married because right. marriage is such a big deal in Mormonism. So they maintain that Jesus took upon himself the seed of Abraham, which he was from the lineage of sure. Abraham, yeah. so that he could continue the lineage and posterity of Abraham, and in other words, get married and have kids. But how does that have to do with polygamy? Uh, and this verse clearly points to the fact that Jesus is our high priest. <laughs> <laughs> so other designated high priests are imposters. Mm. So this is just another um, session of, of working through their arguments that polygamy is okay. And as new arguments develop from polygamists, of course, we'll put them together and, and continue this discussion. But it really amazes me as polygamists... Uh, do put together so many arguments, they take so much out of context. And try to stretch an explanation that covers uh, their, their theology, mm -hmm. but it mm -hmm. doesn't, isn't supported by, by the Bible. By the Bible. And I go into Joseph Smith's translation frequently. I didn't with everything, but I did on a few things Just of this one. Just to check to see if to there check are any it changes. Out. And, and it, so many of them, Joseph Smith never made Most the changes they're making. Yeah. And yet they trust Joseph Smith. So it's, it's very... Or trust Orson Pratt. Or, or Orson Pratt. Oh, my. We should do, we got to do a couple of shows on Orson Pratt because he was way out there, I'm telling you. But anyway, that's, that's the way it is. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Earl. You bet. Thank you very much. You know, Mormon fundamentalists and the LDS, too, teach that folks must be married if they want to achieve celestial glory and become gods and goddesses of their own sinful worlds. Again, as in so many doctrines, they have ignored what the Bible teaches. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 8, Paul wrote, To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Verse 38 so then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Isn't that something? Jesus taught that. Does it sound like Mormonism? Jesus taught that some people remain single so that they can focus on the kingdom of God rather than on the problems of marriage. Neither Paul nor Jesus taught marriage was wrong, but neither did they teach marriage was essential, as Mormonism claims. Again, it's Jesus who saves, not marriage and not polygamy. We encourage you to do your own homework and check these things out for yourselves. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-5673.
425-9993.